At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Well, just outside of Grand Rapids is a small town known as Byron Center. Many of you maybe have been there, have visited this wonderful little city. Now, this is where a physician practiced his craft way back in the early part of the 1900s. Young man was a guy who had grown up in the church, and yet he got his practice started, and so the busyness of life picked up. The pressures of the job kind of piled on and piled on, and that, of course, pushed him to move church things to the back burner. He got sort of set aside for a season of his life. That was until 1921. That's when uh, this doctor had a medical situation. It was a situation that would, in fact, change his life. You see, the doctor became incredibly ill. In fact, he was so ill that he was actually in a Grand Rapids hospital fighting for his life. And that's when he made this statement. God, if you spare my life, I will serve you. If you spare my life, I will serve you. And that's what God did. God spared this man's life. God showed this young man his mercy and his grace, and he restored him to full health. So just a year later, a guy by the name of M.R. Dahan sold his medical practice, and he went and decided, I'm going to go to seminary. Because the call in his life had changed. It had shifted from physical care to spiritual care. The goal was to become a Bible teacher to communicate the truths of the Word of God. Now, this led DeHaan to start something called the Detroit Bible Class. You don't hear about the Detroit Bible Class any longer. It has gone through a number of shifts in name, but I can tell you some 80 years later, the deal that M.R. DeHaan made with God has now become an international broadcast and print ministry that many of us are familiar with because it is called Our Daily Bread Ministries. If you read the devotional, Our Daily Bread, it is from this interchange between a holy God and a sinful man. Now, I don't share this story because I think it is a good idea for us to make deals with God. (laughs) Quite the opposite. When we come before a holy and righteous God, we should have this posture of humility, not one of bargaining. That's not the normal way that we should approach our Heavenly Father. Instead, I share the story of M.R. DeHaan and the story of our daily bread because of the grace of God. It is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Now, as many of you know, many of you don't know, I had the privilege of working at our daily bread ministries for about a decade uh, in my 20s back when I got out of college. 
And that was a place for me to grow as a, as a Christian. And I will tell you, the leadership was not MR any longer, but the leadership was, was his family. And they were a people who had great integrity, high character, and they placed a significant value on glorifying God and helping God's people understand the truth of His Word. It all started. It all started because of the grace of God in the life of a believer. Just one. Now today, we're going to be taking a look at a portion of Scripture that speaks directly to this kind of scenario, the grace of God in our lives and the grace of God in a specific people's life. But before we turn to that text, let's come before our gracious God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge you today as the ultimate grace giver. We acknowledge you as a gracious and holy and righteous God. That's why we're here today. That's why we got out of bed today. That's why we put on our Sunday best. That's why we drove to church. That's why we are here today because we desire to commune with you, to connect with you, and to bring you an offering of worship. So God, would you meet with us today? Through the power of your Spirit, would you meet with us as we open your Word? God, we stand on the truth of your Word today. So through it, would you teach us? Would your Holy Spirit connect the truth of your Word with our hearts and with our lives today? But for that to happen, God, we need eyes to see this truth, ears to hear this truth, and humble hearts then to put it into practice. So, God, we ask this humbly in the authority of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we are jumping into a new sermon series. If you haven't noticed, it's that big word behind me called overflow. And uh, what you might not see in the subtitle, it says, from him through us to all. I really like that subtitle specifically because what it does is it clarifies for us a path of blessing. It gives us clarity on a path of blessing. It begins with God and His graciousness and His goodness. It then comes to us, it's given to us to flow out to God's people, to all people, specifically so that we would be a blessing to the world. That's the role that God has for His people. You see, this idea is not rooted in just one little text in a corner of the Scriptures, you will find this reality throughout the Scriptures. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament, where God established a unique covenantal relationship, this exclusive relationship with His people, His chosen people, the Israelites. And here's what He said to them. He said, and I will make you a great nation. This is Genesis chapter 12. And I will bless you and make your name great. So I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I'm going to do these things for you so that you can go ahead and bless others. That's the foundation of this overflow series. That's the foundation of what we're looking at when we fast forward to the New Testament and dig into our text that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next couple weeks. 
What we're going to be doing in this overflow series is looking at two very significant chapters right in the middle of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, when we talk about that, we have to consider that Acts chapter 18 gives us a bit of history when it comes to what's going on in Corinth. You see, the Apostle Paul was the guy who planted this church. He was the guy who established this church in Corinth. So Paul had a relationship with the people to whom he's writing. On one of his missionary journeys, Paul was used of God to establish this church so he knew these people well. And yet something was going on in this church plant after Paul had gone on and moved on. There's a little bit of a problem. Paul receives news that things aren't maybe going great in the context of the church. Now, for those of you who've been in any church for any length of time, this probably doesn't come as a surprise. (laughs) It happens. You see, that's why Paul wrote what what we know as 1 Corinthians to address the issues head on. And then he gets to 2 Corinthians. He continues... Now, what happens when you write something to challenge people? If I write you a letter and communicate, hey, I heard some things are going on, I want to address those things in your life. What happens typically? Whoa, I don't like that so much. Well, that's what happened. That's what happened in the context of 2 Corinthians, and so Paul is addressing that issue. They begin to reject his authority. He challenges them on some things, and they begin to reject his authority. Specifically, they had come in contact with some teachers who had great wealth, some teachers of the faith who had established more wealth in their lives. They were more eloquent, perhaps, than Paul. And so you put those two two things together, and they were people who were having more influence than the Apostle Paul, who was a man who was impoverished, who suffered. So Paul takes 2 Corinthians chapters 4 through 7, and he addresses these issues head on. Here's what he writes. He reminds them that Jesus, the Christ, is the one who died for their sin and was raised to life. He begins by establishing a root on the gospel. That's where he starts. And then he reminds them that Jesus was, in fact, a suffering servant. Jesus was not a man of great wealth. And then he reminds the Corinthians that the Jesus way, that the way of Christ is the cruciform life. It is upside down from the ways of the world's power and wealth. It's different. And that brings us to today's text. So let me encourage you to grab your Bibles, and as you're doing that, uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what Paul is doing is he's writing to challenge these people to maintain that passion for the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel, and specifically what it means for their giving, what it means for their giving. So let's grab our Bibles and turn there together. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. If you're reading on the ESV, that's page 967, or you can read along behind me. Here's what the apostle writes. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. The Apostle Paul has just done some vision casting. He spent some time and jotted a letter down to his friends in the church in Corinth, and he's casting some clear vision. He's seeking to motivate them to offer financial support to the Jerusalem church. But if you'll notice, he's not doing it the way that many of us might expect. Oftentimes, when you're talking about Christians and asking money for the church, how is it delivered? It's delivered in sort of this dutiful way that you should do this. It's your duty to do this. It's not what Paul does. He also doesn't leverage guilt as a means of motivation. We've seen that happen, haven't we? Paul takes a different approach. I think it's an approach that many of us will resonate with, and I think it's powerful because what Paul does is instead he he focuses on Christ, on a different motivation. He focuses the motivation and it is rooted in the gospel itself. You see, Paul desires that God's people would see first and foremost what God had done for them. And then once they recognize what he had done for them, then that would overflow in generous, generous giving to this particular church, that it would bleed out of them. Well, let's pause for a moment. That's a different approach, isn't it? I mean, really, some of us might look at that and go, well, Paul, that's really wonderful, nice, nice approach, kind of wishful thinking. I mean, really, you're just going to say, hey, look what Jesus has done for you, so. Seriously, many of us might look at Paul and say, wow, that's really naive. To think that people would just simply give because of what they had received in Christ. Is it? I mean, really, is it? Is it naive to think that? Maybe that's it. Maybe that is the real question. There is no need for manipulation. There's no need for duty. There's no need for guilt because what every single person worshiping with us today who has received the grace of God through faith in Christ, we should recognize and we should consider this truth that grace received leads to grace being given. Grace received is grace given. That is why we are calling this series Overflow. 
because it overflows from the heart of what we first have experienced in Christ. This overflow causes you and me, all who are in Christ today, to be a blessing to others. It goes all the way back to Father Abraham to be a blessing. Let's see how this happens. Let's dig into verse 1 specifically. Let's dig in a little deeper. Paul writes, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So remember, he's writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth, and he's telling them about what God is up to in this other church. He says, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul begins by establishing this truth, that grace overflows in the lives of believers, specifically to the churches in this area of Macedonia. Now, for those of you who don't know, Macedonia was just a bit outside of uh, Corinth. It was an area that housed or was the location of the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica. So if you're familiar with the book of Philippians or Thessalonians, you can connect the dots. Now, at first glance, you might kind of say, well, wait a second. I'm writing to a group of believers and I'm telling them about how awesome God is in the lives of these other people. Yeah, that's right. And then some of us might kind of go, well, of course. He's going to connect the dots of this group who's received a lot and they're going to move and they're going to see the love that they've experienced in Christ. It's good. It is good because it's factual, it's true, and it's right. But Paul has something else he wants us to focus on a little bit in this portion of the text as well. And it gives us the first way that you and I see that grace overflows regardless of our circumstances. God's grace overflows regardless of our circumstances. Look at verse 2 again. Paul says the Macedonian believers were experiencing a severe test of affliction. They had intense things going on in their lives. They were experiencing tough times. Anybody identify with that? I think so. And yet, yet something crazy happens. God's grace produces something in their lives that's amazing. Look at the text. Their abundance of joy... They're overflowing with joy. Their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Let me paraphrase that for you for just a moment. It actually happened in that text in three parts. First, they understand, they comprehend God's grace for them. Got it. Then they recognize that, hey, I'm in the middle of a a really difficult situation here. I'm in the middle of a lot of trial and, and tough things. That's the second phase. And then they get to the point where it produces generosity. It produces generosity. Well, how could this happen? I mean, really, how could this happen? We know how it could happen. 
Because each of us, when we're in our lowest moments, when everything else is stripped away, that's often when we see God's grace the clearest. That is often the moment, whether we're dealing with some kind of affliction or financial challenge, whatever it might be, that is the moment when we see with great clarity God's goodness and His grace. For those of you who have walked through intense physical pain, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who have walked through financial hardships, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who have had career challenges, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the times that you can sense the love of God most deeply. These are the times that we can understand that Jesus' death on the cross is most significant and powerful. These are the times that we're often most thankful for God's grace in our lives. Now, conversely, we often recognize in the dark times and the valley times, conversely, when we have these, these times of great health, tremendous financial stability, no real concern. We're at the pinnacle of our career. That's seldom the place where we recognize God's grace the most. Very rarely does that happen. So just like the Apostle Paul is highlighting in our text today, the good things of the world often cause us to miss the most important things in our lives. I often wrestle with this on a personal level. When I'm sitting in the comfort of my home, in the midst of summer, the air conditioning is on, quiet neighborhood, I'm relaxing, I'm often confronted with this. Perhaps you are too when you look at your iPhone. You're sitting on your PlayStation. You're enjoying a movie in your media room. You got the boat. You got the fancy car. You got whatever it is. You got all the stuff in life. Those are good things. Or maybe they're hindering us from seeing the goodness of God's grace in our lives. Just maybe. So let me ask you a couple questions. The rhetorical questions, but I do want you to consider them. Do you find yourself more gracious towards others with your time, with your talents, with your resources, your treasures, when things are going well? Or when you're struggling a little? Does your generosity towards others rest upon your circumstances or is it completely separate? We should consider. Now, let's look back at the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to pick it up at verse 3 as we continue. For they gave according to their means, Paul says. He says, I can testify in beyond their means. And they did so of their own accord. 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul continues here to speak of this Macedonian church, but he's, he's changed his point of emphasis a little bit. You see, the Macedonians have gone through intense hardships. We've talked about that. That's the circumstances that they're challenged by. They've experienced great poverty, and their giving was according to their means, and it was beyond their means is what Paul tells us. That means that they are giving according to their means. That means this is what I have. I have the capacity to give this. And then Paul says they're doing that, and then they take it one step further. They give beyond their capacity. They give beyond their ability. Do you know how that happens? When there's an overflow of God's grace. That's when that can happen. When there is an overflow of God's grace in our lives, when we recognize in with great clarity the significance of Jesus' love for us, the grace that He has showered upon us, we give out of an overflow. And this helps us see the second way that grace overflows in our lives when it goes beyond any limitations. God's grace overflows beyond any limitations. I think it's so good that Paul mentions that they were not coerced, they were not manipulated to give. Nobody was there twisting their arm. Instead, it says, they gave out of the overflow of God's grace. How do we know that? Because they desired to give. They asked to be a part of the relief of the saints. They said, we've given what we can, but we are so concerned about the advancement of the gospel. We are so concerned about the kingdom and the church. We want to give for the relief of those people, our brothers and sisters in faith. That's what's going on in this text. They cared for other Christ followers. And I want to step away from the text for just a moment and bring this down to our campus, specifically to White Lake. Many of you have this same heart posture. I know this because you give faithfully in your means and beyond your means to something that we call our benevolence fund. We have a normal tithe and a normal offering. That's the consistent general budget. And yet we have something else called the benevolence fund. Now, in a normal year, we would put up these boxes in four corners of our worship center. And what we would do about once per quarter, we would encourage you to say, hey, out of the abundance of what you have, if you care for the needs of others in our congregation, we'd love to provide an opportunity for you to give into those boxes. It's beyond the normal tithe. It's beyond the normal offering. Our deacons and our deaconess team, they work with the needs of the people within our congregation, and they handle those resources, the relief of the saints. And we've been back together after taking a little break because of COVID. We've been back together now for, I don't know, nine, ten months maybe. And we haven't done one of those offerings. We haven't put the boxes in the corner. Do you know why? We haven't needed to. 
we haven't needed to because of your generosity to the relief of the saints. This benevolence fund is solid. It's strong right now and ready to help those in need within our church family. And so as your pastor, can I just say thank you Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for caring for the relief of the saints. It might not be in a different body. This is in the context of our church family. And I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. I want to say thank you because what this shows is an overflow. It's an overflow of the grace of God in your life to the point where you want to be a blessing to others. It's so good. Again, thank you. Now, let's close out our look at this text today. We're going to look at the final way that we know that God's grace has been received in our lives. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, in this, not as we expected. We didn't expect them to do that, not as we expected, but instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You see, what Paul is looking at here is the Macedonians are going beyond their financial giving. They're Their offering is actually a two-stage offering, and he breaks it down this way. The first stage comes as believers give of themselves wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. In faith, you surrender all that you are to Him. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin, and I believe in the gospel. I receive the good news. I receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. I'm yours. That's stage one. And then stage two comes as the Macedonians give themselves to the church, to the work of the church, to be deployed by the apostles for the good of the, for the, good of the church, for the advancement of the gospel, and for the strengthening of the body. And that gives us the third way that we see that grace overflows as you and I give of ourselves. God overflows as we give of ourselves. You see, the financial giving that we looked at just a a little bit earlier was not the only giving that flowed. In fact, if you want to break it down, there's kind of three aspects of, of surrender here. The Macedonians practiced that it began with the giving of their spiritual lives. Then it moved into the space of their financial lives. We've looked at both of those two things. And then it gets to the point where they surrender their physical lives. First to Jesus, and then to His church. This is a model for us as believers, as Men and women of faith, this is a model for us right here in White Lake. First to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I've received your grace. I've received your mercy. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I want it to overflow from my life. Everything I have is yours. That's the first step. The second way 
is for each of us to say, Lord, my finances, my treasures, my talents, and my time, all of those can be used for your church, for the advancement of the gospel in this region and around the world. I surrender that as well. Church, that's what it looks like for grace to overflow from our lives. That's what it looks like. Now, I know that some of us might not be there yet. Some of us might not be quite there yet in terms of our understanding of the gospel or our our willingness to surrender. So I want to encourage you, if that's where you are today, I want to encourage you to go back to the cross. You know, a week and a half ago, we gathered here as a church to celebrate Good Friday, and the cross is right here where I'm standing. The centrality of the cross, of what Jesus did on that cross for each and every one of us, that's the starting point. That's the foundation from where it all begins. So I would encourage you, if you're not there yet, go back to the cross. Rest in Christ. Seek Christ. Ask Him to give you a heart that is overflowing with His grace. But for those of you who are ready, for those of you who are ready, you would say, I have a sense that the Holy Spirit is stirring something in me right now. I'm excited for what these next few weeks are going to look like for you. Because we're going to be looking at God's grace in each of our lives and what it means for us to give or to serve. And so let me challenge you to have this posture. An open-handed, open-hearted posture for what specifically the Lord is calling you to do. How He might be calling you to respond. It could be serving in a very specific area of our church. I'm going to be really candid here. Since we've come back from COVID, ministry partners have been hard to come by. People to do the work of the ministry, to serve in the church. This is not just a White Lake problem. It is a Woodside problem and a problem in the church in America today. Since we've come back, we need people in our kids' ministry. We need people in our student ministry. We need people in our special needs ministry. So what I'm asking you as your pastor is to be humble, to take that posture before a holy God and ask Him where He would have you. And then listen. Listen to what He is speaking to you and how He is going to move you. So as we close today, may I encourage you, be ready. Be ready for what God has for you. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.